Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to Strides with Amelia in podcast form. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this lecture on the go. Thank you. Hi, everyone. And hi, Amy, um, my co-host. And I am really happy to be here. I got pretty sick on Friday, so I'm, I'm having Amelia's turn at not having a voice. So um, what I thought we'd do is I would talk a little bit about horsemanship and some of the background and history of how we got to horsemanship. And I, I was going to talk a little bit about the lineage specifically about Buck and Ray Hunt and how they learned this kind of approach to horses. And then thirdly, how your horses actually feel safer and more loved if you do this continuously and well. And then Amy's gonna do her section and kind of dovetail off of some of that. Um, the first part I wanted to show, I want to share my screen a little bit, and I want to talk about what my horses did today. So let me see if I can share. Uh, I want to share this image. That's what I want to share. Can, okay. I think I'm sharing my screen, and you can <laughs> see this image. Okay. <laughs> These are the two horses I work today. And as you can see, I wasn't able to ride, but I work them on the ground. And um, so the brown horses in front and the black horses in back. And actually this picture tells you several things about these two horses. So in the chat, in terms of horsemanship, I, I need help oh, already. I'm having the Amelia problem. I can't see. Excuse me. I can't see the chat. But in the chat, can you tell me which of these horses is the safer horse to ride? And Amy, maybe you can help me and see the chat and tell me what people say. Yeah, Holly can do that. Oh, through the X, maybe. And just a reminder for people to remute their to mute their mics, please. Which is on the bottom left. If anyone's having trouble finding that, I already had it. Why, why would it go away? Thanks. I don't know. So, does anybody have an opinion of which horse, which horse in this picture you'd rather ride today? Noreen says Noreen, the brown the horse. Brown. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I think Toto looks like he's trying to hide behind the brown horse. <laughs> so I thought it was. I think too, this but is really interesting. Eight. I did a bunch of groundwork with these horses. And as you can see, the brown horse is like, I'm done. I'm ready to be with you. I'm pretty even on my right side and my left side. Can you tell me anything that the black horse is telling you specifically? Any hint of what the black horse needs? <clears throat> Just take a wild guess. 
Jennifer says relaxation Relax. and um, still tense. Noreen says suppleness needs to relax. So the black horse doesn't like to go to the right. So he's tense and he, he positions himself to the left purposely because he'd rather, if he's going to leave, he wants to leave to the left. He doesn't want to leave to the right. And I just wanted to show you this because I think we start horsemanship feeling like we should know everything and we should be able to look at these horses and be able to tell what's going on. And it's actually a learned skill. So I was gonna talk about the lineage for horsemanship in the United States really starts with Tom and Ray and Tom Dorrance, Tom and Bill Dorrance, and they were cowboys. And what I think is interesting about the cowboys is that they spent so much time with their horses out riding on the range or riding fence that they had an opportunity to figure out how to get along with the horses. So you have these sensitive men, frankly, who really had a lot of time to figure out how do I get my horse to ride straight uh, when something's happening on the range? How do I get my horse to turn? How do I get my horse to go a little bit faster? And so the lineage in the United States really is Bill and Tom Dorrance, who moved a lot of cattle and worked on cattle big ranches. And, and then it goes to Ray Hunt, and from Ray Hunt, Ray Hunt's the first person who really went and spread all this news about horsemanship to Buck Brandeman and to Martin Black and to, and to Brian Newbert and to Joe Walters. And so that's what started the clinic movement in the United States on natural horsemanship. And it's all from Ray Hunt and Bill and Tom Dorrance, these cowboys who spent a lot of time doing this. And I think it's really interesting to understand that we fit into that uh, philosophy, that that's something that we're a part of as we learn from Amelia and from what Amelia is trying to teach us, that there's a whole heritage behind it. And Amelia spent more than a year working for Mindy Bowers, who's Buck's um, sister-in-law, and out on a ranch starting horses, doing all the kind of stuff I was doing today with those two horses and moving them around. And that really is the beginning. The second point you know, I wanted to make is that you, all of us have to learn horsemanship. Nobody was born knowing how to do this. Mm -hmm. And if you go back and you look at Ray Hunt, Ray Hunt learned from a horse named Hondu. And Hondi was this really difficult horse and it was the middle of winter and he couldn't get this horse right and he couldn't get this horse to do anything. And he'd heard about these cowboys, Tom and Bill Dorrance. So he went to visit them, but ultimately Ray Hunt learned because he had a very difficult horse. Um, when you go back into Buck's story, Buck learned because he had a horse named Bick. And Vic was so hard that even after Buck had worked with him for years, he would take him to clinics and he would not let Vic stand at the trailer by himself. 
because he knew that if some stranger walked close to Bick or walked behind Bick, that Bick would really, really get upset and nervous and kick out at another person. And so I think that's so important to learn that these cowboys that we admire and that we learned from ultimately had very difficult horses in the beginning that made them seek out teachers and this way of understanding the horse just like Amelia and Joseph that Amelia and Joseph had a very difficult horse named Geronimo that forced her to go to the cowboys and learn from Larry Fleming who was a devout student of Buck Brannaman so and I'll tell you another story I'm sure you know, you guys know about Tristan Tucker, and he's the Australian man who does dressage and horsemanship and moved to Europe. And Joseph was in Europe talking to Tristan, and they were having a long conversation about horsemanship and how did you learn this and what did you do growing up? And Tristan said, I learned how to do this from the horses. And he learned from the Brombies in Australia. And I think that's really important for all of us to understand that in some ways, it's really important to learn like online and learn the exercises that Amelia is teaching us. But ultimately, your teacher is your horse. So part of why I started with the picture of two of the horses I'm working right now is because we have to pay attention to our horse and really figure out which side are they weak on or which side do they want to put us on and why. And so our best teacher is really our horses. And if we go back historically and look at our teachers, our teachers are learning from their very difficult horses. So that's my really second point is that we all have the opportunity to learn from our horses. Yeah. The third thing, and you guys picked up it in the comments, Jennifer said it, that the black horse needed to relax. J.E. Brooks said that the horse is still tense. Noreen is saying that the black horse needs to be more supple. What you're picking up on there is that the black horse actually doesn't feel safe. The brown horse is willing to face you and come towards you and be with you. The black horse is ready to run away and he's gonna run away on his favorite side to the left, his favorite direction. And so we all, all of our horses do little things that give us little hints about what we should be doing and teaching and helping them uh, to feel safer and to feel more loved. And I listen to all your comments, both on WhatsApp and in the Strides Facebook group and in the general Amelia's Dressage Facebook group. And what's striking to me is that when your horse feels safer, when your horse is nervous, or when they're trying to bite you, or when they're trying to run over you with their shoulder, they're really trying to take care of themselves and not rely on you as kind of the dominant leader of the pack. And you can see it in that photograph, the brown horse, 
believed that I would take care of him and the black horse was ready to leave. And that means I'm not doing a good enough job making the black horse feel safe. And it's an opportunity for me to learn, frankly, with actually a really difficult horse. Um, Sandra says a clinician told her lately that a nervous horse is an unbalanced one. Um, that's true. And there's some unbalanced is an interesting word because the, the young horse, the brown horse is four and I've had him since the begin, the middle of September. And what's interesting about him is he actually falls on his right shoulder quite a bit. He's quite unbalanced to the right. And that leads me into talking about the, the rectangle. I think that when we think about, and I want you to write in the comments, when you think about your horse right now, when you're just planning your ride, how do you know, do you know, is your horse out the front door or gonna go too fast? Or is your horse out the back door and behind your leg? I'll be the first one to write. I know my horse is out the back door. He's, they're not enough concerned or ahead of my leg or worried about it. Sandra's got a horse out the front door. Uh huh. And then on the left and the right, I know that my horse is gonna lean on my right leg. And so is your horse gonna lean on your right leg or your left leg, which also means if you're going to the right, your, your horse is gonna fall in on that circle. And if you're going to the left, your horse is gonna fall out of that circle. So the concept of riding in this rectangle and the rectangle gets smaller and smaller as you get a more refined and upper level horse is a really interesting thing for you to evaluate how you ride your own horse. And when you like look at those two horses on the ground, uh, the brown horse is actually easier to work on both sides. The black horse is very difficult to get off your right leg, which is why he showed you your, his left side. Um, those are really important things to think about when you set your goal or you set your idea of what you're gonna work on. So when I have a horse that's difficult off my right leg, the thing that I think about is that they're gonna fall in on a circle to the right and they're gonna be harder to leg yield off my right leg. So when I think about that, and I'm having that difficulty riding my horse, sometimes I will stop my horse and do a turn on the forehand and check how he or she is getting off my right leg. And that's a really important concept because I think as a more novice rider than Amelia or Joseph, I have to really be aware in my head what my horse needs and conscious of it. So the idea of cruise control that you put your leg on and your horse assumes a certain speed and maintains that speed, cruise control or self-carriage also relates to off your, being off your right leg or your left leg. 
And if your horse leans on your right leg and you're always nagging it on the right leg, trying to push it over, it's not as easy to do the movements easily. So to a certain extent, you need to think about getting it off your right leg and it has to stay off your right leg. So I don't know how many of you guys have the opportunity to ride out or to ride trail, but one of the things, one of the pithy sayings that I love from the Cowboys is to make the right thing easy and the wrong thing hard. So if you look up and you're riding to a point, so I'm looking, I'm riding out at pasture and I'm riding to a tree. And every time I try to ride to the tree, the horse leans to the right and takes me towards the right, which means it's not off my right leg. I have to like make a little bump, bump, bump with that right leg until he goes straight. And then I'm really calm because he's in the rectangle. But if he leans to the right again and starts going right, I have to go bump, bump, bump and get him back on the path. And I think that's such a good way to think about how to keep your horse in the rectangle. And I, um, I just think it's such an important concept that you know when you get on your horse, do you need a little bit more restraining aid because your horse is too forward and gonna go too fast and be too enthusiastic? Do you need a really more of a leg aid so that your horse is a headier leg and thinking about what's coming next and really responsive to your leg? And how do you get your horse off your right leg or your left leg? Um, I like Sandra's idea that your horse is more safe and balanced in the rectangle. That is um, a really good, important point. And the harder thing, I think, as someone learning how to ride, I've only ridden about 16 years, is that when they're in the rectangle, you have to really be calm and quiet with your body. And that's the release that they get rewarded for being in the rectangle by really having you breathe really deeply, sit deeper in the saddle, relax your legs, um, have really soft hands. So when you ride with Buck, I had the fortune of riding with him for two weeks at his ranch in Wyoming. And he will talk about that. You'll be out on trail and he'll say, okay, everybody's horse is going really well. Relax, just relax for two or three minutes and then pick up and ask for a soft feel or then pick up and ask them to get off your right leg or whatever. But to a certain extent, when we would do this, I would find that two things happen. I'm relaxing and telling my horse that my horse is okay and doing the right thing. But it also gives me a chance to calm down and evaluate actually what the horse is doing because I think we have these ideas and these formulas and we have to sometimes stop and really feel what our horse is doing and feel, really feeling, you know, where their legs are, what's happening in the bridle, or 
comes from our body and our sensations, understanding what the horse underneath us is doing. And sometimes the best way to feel our horse is to take a big deep breath in and out and really relax and let go a little bit so that the horse can show us its true colors, can actually make a mistake that we can then respond to. So those are kind of my thoughts on this month's exercises. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity to actually stop and listen to your horse and develop some more feel and to really read what your horse is doing. And the more I've worked with horses and the more people I've had the, the pleasure of teaching, the clearer it is to me that if you can be clear and you can get your horse to really listen and pay attention to you, that then your horse actually is happier and feels safe, feels safer. It's the nervous horses that are jumping around that might step on you that are not paying attention to you. And they're doing that partly because they're trying to take care of themselves and lead. And you can see it in that picture because the black horse really is trying to take care of himself and he's not with me in that picture. The brown horse really is trusting of me and believes in me and the brown horse feels safer. And we all wanna get to the point where our horse is listening to us and is feeling safer and is in the rectangle and puts its head down to be bridled and isn't spooking at that spooky corner in the barn. And that happens by us really showing up and listening to our horse and setting the boundaries. So I've talked a lot and I just, wonder if anybody has any questions before I, I start have a comment voice. really quick that I actually there's something that you said that I wanted to challenge your thinking on and <laughs> I think that a lot of us actually do this and you said that you had some key things that you have to keep in mind as a novice rider as compared to Amelia and Joseph and you were saying that you just have to be very aware of what your <laughs> horse needs from you in the moment and just always keep that in mind and I'm going to argue and say well Amelia and Joseph and Stefan and Catherine and Charlotte they all have to be aware of the exact same thing as well. So I'm not saying we're all on their level, but I think we all have the same type of responsibility. I just think that maybe they come to it faster or there's no, um, there's no argument in their head about like, I know that this is my responsibility and I need to do it. I think sometimes as amateurs, we kind of talk ourselves out of our responsibility because we feel a little bit unequipped or because we feel a lot of, um, input from a lot of different people who mean well, but who have different interpretations of what you need, what your horse needs, of the whole situation. Um, so I just want to challenge your thinking and challenge everyone's thinking that we have to be careful not to separate ourselves from more professional horsemen in this specific category, because we all have that same responsibility. And I'd argue that they are all also very much aware of what their horse needs from them in that moment. That's a good, that's a good point, Amy. I think that professional riders are, are really trying to keep their horse safe and with them and paying attention. It, they do it 
every day so well so that it's perhaps not as apparent on a day-to-day -day basis where when I get a horse out and I haven't seen it for a week because I've been sick, my my horses need a little bit more guidance or structure. I also think you're right that I'm going to say this, and this is going to maybe sound funny. We confuse love and really petting on our horses and letting them be really affectionate and letting them nuzzle with us to oh. them feeling they don't necessarily feel safe when they're doing that. They're actually testing the boundaries. And, and I think sometimes we let them do that too much and then they do feel unsafe. Um, there's somebody in strides, I don't know if she's here tonight, who was talking to me, she, her horse bit her recently and she was just appalled because she took the groundwork class and she said, I just got lax. My horse was doing so well, was so well behaved. I'd get him out every day. Everything was okay. And he, she realizes that he was pushing the boundaries and she wasn't like saying, hey, you need to be careful. <laughs> so it's a line that we all walk and need to really understand, but that's a really good point. Does anybody else have any questions on the curriculum or the exercises this month. Can you show the picture of your horse again? Go to motivation. Sure, let me see if I can do that. Share screen. I think you guys can see them. Yeah, they're okay. Not yet. There we go. You can't see it yet? Now. There it is. Now we got it. Mm -hmm. It takes a while. They're beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. So I have to ask, um, and this is a very safe space because this is, we're all friends, we're all family here. How many of you watch Amelia's videos when she's doing groundwork or you watch Joseph, for example, or anyone else on YouTube who's trying to teach you how to do what you're trying to accomplish and you feel like, oh gosh, they do it so well. And then I start to do it and I do it so poorly. So then you just kind of back off and you lose your motivation or comfortability in what you're doing. Is it just me? No, I watch all <laughs> of them. <laughs> What did you say, Terry? I said I just want keep watching them and keep practicing. <laughs> yeah, and people are chiming in in the chat as well. They feel the same way. So it's okay. It's uh, all Jay good. Brooks, not as quick, but it's motivating. Yeah, it's true. Things are a little bit slower for us. One because we're amateurs, um, and it's new and it's awkward and it's you know kind of like. I feel like a lot of the like things that we're good at now, it's because we learned as children or even as infants or toddlers and we don't remember learning them. And then you go and try and learn a new skill as an adult and you're shocked by how much time and effort and body awareness and start and stop and fail and restart and stop and fail again. And how cyclical that pattern is before you get even like an ounce of feeling comfortable with it. Yeah, um, Amelia means business. 
when she's doing groundwork for sure. And that was something that I am starting to like take respons responsibility in as well, where I'll have these rides and I'm like, oh, poor me. <laughs> you know, I'm always talking about how I want someone to come up my driveway and motivate me and give me a hug. And, you know, then I'll, I'll, I'll ride or I'll do groundwork and I'll just be like, poor me, my horse isn't doing what I want. I'm having such a bad ride, poor, poor me. And then I watch a video of Amelia and she like, she, it, she doesn't have time to feel sorry for herself. She just gets done what she needs to get done and moves on. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I, yeah, you do say, grab uh, I would say watching Amelia over the years. And I wonder, I wonder part to your point, Amy, if this isn't what happened. Imagine you have Geronimo who's 17 hands and he's, very, very difficult, and you're 14. Amelia walks into a horse with a whole lot of presence, like that horse is gonna do what she needs it to do. And I wondered if she developed that presence because she had a very big, very, very difficult horse when she was young. And that's to your point. Um, at the same time, that really, puts her horses in a space where they expect her to do certain things and they know that they have to follow her. And so they do feel a little bit safer. Yeah. Donna's kind of picking up on kind of where I'm going here. She said analytical versus emotional. Um, Kramer says it gets better with practice. There's another P word that I'm looking for before I kind of jump off into what I wanted to say. Um, can anyone think of any P words that you have to have around horses? You yeah, I'd like to jump out. in. Yeah. Patience, yes. Patience. <laughs> Perfect, yes. Exactly. And the reason that I bring this up is if you watched the, uh, okay, with experience, you know exactly what you want. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you watched the content, there was a bonus video and it was one of Buck's videos and Buck talks about how we have this responsibility to see things from the horse's point of view. And this is especially true now that we're in spooky season, at least in the like northern part of the northern hemisphere, where basically everything's a danger and nothing's safe, no shadow, no horse, no nothing is safe from anything. Um, we have to, we have to dehumanize it because we want to anthropomorphize our horses and give them human emotions or like say that they're plotting these human things um, because we're either projecting feelings of our own that we have um, or just because we don't understand horses don't have a prefrontal cortex and so they don't really have an ability to plan and manipulate and feel the same complex emotions that we have. I mean certainly horses are very um, emotional sentient beings and that they do show some feelings, but not to the extent that we blame them for. Um, so what I wanted to show really quick, I actually typed up a document for you. I won't read it to you, but I did wanna show you a graphic from the document. And this is a concept that is called Anger Mountain. And you can call it Anger Mountain. I think better would be Emotional Mountain. Um, and this is something that is actually well known in like the counseling psychology, um, space. So if you haven't heard of this before, it's fine. I'm actually borrowing from a completely different area. Um, but this is basically what it looks like 
on any given day for a neurotypical non-equestrian person. So anyone that you meet at any point in your life has a day that looks something like this. So my point here is when we think about horses, we have to think of them in a rectangle um, and what they communicate to us within that rectangle. And I think humans are more pyramidal in that we kind of have a summit that we climb and we are triggered along that summit. And then we have a great event and then we kind of go on the decline and there are things that can re-trigger a summit or um, that de-escalate the summit and then we continue on our day. So imagine you've had a day similar to this. Um, it's just a regular day, nothing really bad has happened but you got stuck in traffic. And then you got one of those really unhelpful emails that just really didn't give you any information when you've already been working really hard. And so then you start to build up a little bit on your resentment or anxiety or what have you. And, you know, you've, you've gone along your professional day because we all have to work to pay for our horses. And then now you have barn time and you're somewhere here in this, um, on a normal day, somewhere between like the trigger and escalation. So there have already been physical changes that have happened in your body as you respond to things throughout your day. And now you're walking up to a horse who has no idea what kind of day you've had you can tell them, but I mean, honestly, they're not going to understand with words. Certainly they can smell you. They can smell the chemicals that are released when you have these emotional reactions. There's actually studies that show that horses, they remember, um, they remember the emotions that we felt based on the, like the smell that we put off. So like the next time they see us, if we were angry before, they remember that the next time, uh, because anger actually has a smell. If you've actually ever gone skydiving, which I have, the plane smells very bad and that's the smell of fear because it's the human body emitting fear in a very unpleasant way. Um, and, and this is very true for, for anger or happiness or sadness, excitement, resentment, all of it. Our body reacts in ways that we aren't necessarily aware of because as, as humans, we've kind of learned to kind of like drown it out because we are the top of, of the hierarchy or however you want to say it. We, we aren't the, the animals of prey. We're the ones out doing the hunting. So it doesn't really matter to me if someone next to me is angry because it has nothing to do with me and it's not really a threat to me. And if it becomes a threat to me, then I can do something about it in a more sophisticated and planned out way than a horse is able to do it. But getting into, let's say, doing groundwork. So you've already had this terrible day and now you're starting to do groundwork and your horse doesn't do what you want for whatever reason, either you're asking wrong, your horse has never done it before, you've never done it before, the wind is blowing, the horse next door is neighing. I mean, there's a million reasons why things go wrong, even if you're really good at what you're doing. And then you have your little friend and we'll call him the devil on your shoulder and he's gonna tap you. That's really annoying, isn't it? That Chansey just won't do what you want him to do, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's really freaking annoying. And I've had this really terrible day. And then the voice is like, wouldn't it feel really great if you just got angry and just let that anger take over you? Like even for just a second, let it happen. It's kind of like that bargaining that you do when you're like, should I have the candy bar or shouldn't I? It's exactly the same. And then you do it and then you instantly <laughs> regret it right? <laughs> Certainly someone has had these same struggles as me. Um, but the point is you're going to have this little devil on your shoulder tempting you the higher you get up this anger mountain or emotional mountain telling you, just go ahead and do it. It's going to feel so great if you just let go and just get angry. And I'm telling you from personal experience, <laughs> you don't have to listen to me about anything else, but listen to me about this. Do not for any reason, give that little voice in your head any room to continue any further. There is absolutely no benefit to it. 
Because once you reach this point of crisis, then you have things that go off in your body where, you know, you get that moment of relief where you admit, okay, I'm angry. And now I'm expressing my anger. It's exploding out of me. So then you're having these chemical reactions and they continue long after you've actually had that explosive second. And a horse who is a prey animal is going to be terrified by this reaction. Something that I've learned from years of failing and failing and failing some more, and then finally succeeding only to fail again, is that your trust with your horse is so hard earned and so easily broken, so stinking easily broken. And you have to have this clear mind when you come to your horse. Um, if you watch the Motivation Monday video that I did yesterday, there's actually science around like how you feel about yourself and how you feel about others, whether you're actually to show any empathy towards others is directly related to your own self-esteem and your own, like how you see your self-worth. And if you come from a competitive environment, whether it's how you've grown up or if you're in a barn that's super competitive or for whatever reason you've decided now as an adult, you're going to compete with yourself and compete with others, your self-esteem starts to go down a few notches and then you lose that empathy ability. And you have to hold on to that empathy ability just as much as you have to hold on to the goals and dreams that you have because that empathy is what's going to help you stay grounded. And you have to get really good at having those interrupting and anchoring thoughts. And for me, I always borrow from Mel Robbins and I'll say five, four, three, two, one, this thought is not beneficial. And I've also taken it a step further. I say this thought isn't beneficial. And then I immediately interject a beneficial thought because I'm over here on the other side of anger mountain, right? I've, I've already gotten angry and I've either chosen to react or to not react. And what matters is here in this recovery phase, because you can easily be reignited. So this could only just be a blip on the way up the summit that could go higher and higher and things escalate and you get hurt, your horse get hurt, things go wrong, trust gets broken. And then, you know, a really bad session turns into three, four, five, six months of trying to earn your horse's trust back from one little thing. Um, I have a mare at my house and I wouldn't exactly say that I'm a mare person and I have geldings as well. And with geldings, you kind of have to come with I mean, to borrow from like modern rap singers, like big girl energy, I don't really know what that means in like modern pop culture, but I know what it means as a horse person. I, like I have to come and kind of be the boss because they're like, the little girl, I'm not going to listen to you. But if you come to her with big girl energy, she's going to feel threatened. And it took me a, a lot of like failing and um, having to redevelop a relationship with her to understand that each horse is individual and the energy that I bring to each one is very different because when I'm in this recovery phase, okay, Millie wouldn't put her head down, but Chansey and Hero do put their head down when I put their halter on. Why won't Millie put her head down? It's me. It's because I smell bad. It's because I'm not good at this. It's because I spend too much time with Chansey and not enough time with her. And you see how this spirals and it's just not beneficial and it doesn't help Millie put her head down. That's the point. So you have to be emotionally strong. You have to kind of be aware that humans are our, our, our days are, are very triangular and like it or not, we're going to traverse a summit, but it matters what we do here at the top. As you can see right here in this graphic, when, when we actually give in to that anger, to that emotion, our cave person brain takes over. If you've ever been in an accident or an injury, cave person brain is actually no fun at all. I had a period after my injury where I broke my wrist where I was unreasonably afraid of parked cars because there was that cave person brain part of me that told me 
that, that knew that cars could run you over and could kill you, even though my accident was horse related, I was very afraid of cars. I couldn't sit next to um, windows on anything that wasn't a ground floor because I'd think, oh boy, if I fall out the window, I'm gonna get hurt and die. Well, yeah, that's very true, but that's very limited cave person brain thinking where you can't rationalize, you can't see beyond the context of the fact that you're angry. You can't say, okay, yeah, you could get hurt when you fall out of a window, but you're actually like in your basement looking out a window. So why are you scared of windows? So anyway, as we start to cool down, then we can kind of rationalize and, you know, things start to take, think they, it starts to become normal again. And, and you as a person can continue. But as I said, trust is very hard earned and very easily broken. And now you have the consequences here in your cool down phase, where as a human, you can resume your day, but your horse is having a really hard time understanding what the heck just happened and what the heck you did. So hopefully I didn't make you guys feel too bad. <laughs> So I'm going to stop sharing now. I'll share the document. And there's actually a lot of research in this anger mountain thing that I can share within the document as well for you to read further if you want. But basically what I'm getting at is we have a responsibility to think how the horse thinks. And we also have a responsibility to be very aware of our own um, emotions and our own tendencies and how the rest of our day can actually impact how things go with our horse or even our self-esteem can impact the end result of what we're trying to do with our horse the end. <laughs> okay, I'm reading was, the chat. That was, good, <laughs> that was good. Um, one of the things I do is if I'm having a bad day and I'm getting ready to go to the barn, I usually either go in to the pan with Ali'i and spend some time just talking with him and stuff. And then I'll go on down to the riding arena and maybe hand walk him for a while before I start to get into handling it at all. And he usually is pretty receptive to all of it. I don't really carry a lot of bad days into the barn. I sort of talk to myself not to do that. He's a lot bigger than me, <laughs> but I liked everything that you had to say, and I totally understand that. Good talk. Thanks. But I think to, to your point, saying that you don't carry things with you to the barn, I mean, that comes from a lot of in, intentional experience. So people who are able to separate their day from their equine experience, they aren't it's not something that just happens to them. Just like I said in the Motivation Monday video, like joy doesn't just come to you. You have to cultivate it. And the same thing with patience. It, you aren't just, I mean, some, I guess some people are born with, you know, the gift of long suffering, I suppose. But I, I would say the average ones of us, like we have to actually like flex that muscle and make that muscle strong as well. Yeah. You know, I don't always do that when I go home from a bad day. <laughs> My husband gets the brunt of it. <laughs> so it, it has been really interesting to me as Joseph and Amelia's mom to watch them over the last 20 years ride horses and work with all of these different kinds of horses. And I'm amazed at how level and how patient they are. 
Like they're way more level and patient than I am. And they learned that from the horses that to be successful with horse after horse after horse, or if you work five horses a day for several years, that you become very consistent in your approach to the horses. And I think it's something that we as people who've worked with many fewer horses than they have have to develop and have to think about. The only um, comment I would say is that I had this experience where I don't, I was alone trying to load a horse, Scotty, into a trailer to meet Joseph and Amelia and Larry to go move cattle really early in the morning. So it was like four o'clock in the morning, it was dark. I could not load my horse. I, I tried everything I could possibly think of to get Scotty to go in the trailer. And I remember being so angry and so upset and sitting on the fender of the trailer. And I, I and the anger in some ways made me stand up and really learn how to get my horse in the trailer. And so I think we have to... I mean, because I've worked with enough people now and taught enough people that when you get frustrated that you can't get it done well, sometimes you do have to do what Buck says. You, you should not be working with your horse when you're angry. At the same time, I think you have to direct that anger and frustration and make a commitment to really learn how to do this. And I would say in groundwork, the hardest thing is that is that our horses are horses that we've worked with generally every single day and so they have an expectation that they're going to move away from us and they're going to move their shoulder and they're going to bend around us and they're going to trot when we tell them to trot when i work with a horse that comes to me with the student that horse is more difficult to be honest than any of the horses we deal with because it has learned some bad habits that take it longer to undo. So, so there's two things actually happening for us as more amateur riders. We have horses that are not as well trained consistently as Amelia and Joseph. And we don't know how to walk into them, how to walk into their space. So one of the things I really like is to watch and rewatch and rewatch exactly what Amelia's doing in her videos. Watch what she's doing with her hands. Watch what she's doing with her body. Watch how she walks into the horse with a lot of presence and pretend that you're her so that you get that feeling in your body and that will help you. Um, and I think that that's an important thing to really think about is that take the time. I mean, I, I, I have watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of horses doing groundwork and that has given me enough vocabulary and enough ideas to do things when i think see things that are awry it takes it takes no one was born knowing how to do this you have to learn it and 
So I think we all have to be patient with ourselves. And we do have to, like Amy said, kind of wash off the day and start afresh with our horses because they are so, so sensitive. And, and I want my horse to love me and to respect me and to pay attention to me. So there's another story about Tom Dorrance where we tend all our horses and we're all very directed at getting on and riding them. So we tend to lead our horses in a straight line. But sometimes you should lead your horse in a very crooked serpentine line, like really kind of like a drunken sailor walking this way to the right and this way to the left and this way to the right. And if you'll do that with your horse, what you'll notice is your horse will pay a whole lot more attention to you because it'll actually feel like you're leading them. You're telling them to do something every step. And if you then put that in context, in that Italy clinic with Buck, he's got 40 people in Italy who are all dressed to the tens, right, in cowboy attire, which is like interesting and crazy to me. But the very first thing he does when those, when those people get on those horses, he puts them in small serpentines down the long side, <laughs> around the corner. They have to do like three serpentines, like 10 meter circles on the short side. The reason he's doing that is because he's evaluating how those horses turn to the right, turn to the left, and he's making them put their inside leg under their body both directions. And in some ways, it's, it's a really good move. It's a really good thing to do. And we do it when we get on because it's telling your horse you're in charge. It, you're going to make this decision and go to the right. You're going to make this decision and go to the left. You're going to make this decision and go to the right. So I urge you to ask a lot of questions of your horse and, and ask them to do things and be pretty calm about it, if that makes sense. But this is all really helpful, Amy. <laughs> Does anybody have any more questions or comments? Well, I do. Can you hear me? Muriel. Oh, hey. Yes, Muriel. Sorry, I was late. I was finishing Izzy's Hanukkah decorations on her stall. <laughs> anyway, um, I watched the horsemanship video before I went to the barn today. And the coolest thing happened because exactly what Joellen was talking about. I watched how Amelia was handling her, I think it was um, the first video with, with Kensington and just her manner and everything about it. And there's times when I go out to the pasture to pick, to get Izzy and uh, she ignores me you know, and, and she's not, you know, she doesn't come to me. And today I had a different attitude and because of watching that video and I just calmed everything down and she walked right to me and it was just the most wonderful feeling, um, you know, and, and I think that sometimes too, 
you know, that what I could add to, to Amy's talk a little bit, and I'm sorry I was late again, um, was one of the things that I've learned um, too was that sometimes when I get angry or distracted or um, fearful, I actually have to do something to make it go away. Like my actions make my thinking better and make my feeling better. So sometimes I'll go to the barn and I'll feel crappy and angry. But then what I do is I'll fake it and I'll like, I'll see somebody and I'll just pay them a compliment, you know, like, oh, you look so cute today or whatever. And just the action of being nice to somebody else or paying somebody's toll for them, you know, that will change my whole attitude. And um, because I really feel like our feelings and our emotions are dictated by our actions, not the reverse. It's like, we've kind of got to fake it till we make it a little bit. And I have to be like, you know, I'm not, I'm not being phony, but I, I have to really like, I want to get rid of that negative stuff. I need to do something physically nice. And that, and that's, what's really helped me. That's about the only thing I can add. I love these motivation talks. This is so wonderful. Thank you. There's, I love what you said, because there's actually science behind what you're saying. So there have been researchers who have actually spent time somehow studying that there is actually a chemical change in your brain when you start to activate empathy. Um, and when you start to kind of pay it forward and do nice things for other people, that it actually improves like your satisfaction, um, your self-esteem, your outlook on life, things like that. I mean, you don't need science to tell you, you feel better for being a nice person, but there is science behind it as well. And I think that's so cool. So yeah, I, I, I love just, your point. Um, like, I wanted to throw in something if it's okay. Um, hi guys, can sure. you hear me? So the one thing that I found yes. really interesting watching these horsemanship videos, and somebody mentioned in the chat is sometimes we want to be our horse's friend. And I just, you know, I want to go to the barn and just have my best friend and hang out with them. And I'm watching um, Amelia a couple times going, whoa, she's really putting that horse in it. You know, she's making him go somewhere. And, and I'm, I'm struggling with, a, I, I, I mean, sometimes I thought, wow, I, I mean, is she making him calm or is she making him less spooky? Especially in the one video about the, the spooky horse in the corner. I and mean, she's really moving that guy. So it was a lesson for me because I'm always thinking, oh, I need to help you. I need to be your, you know, and she's, she's like, move your leg, get out of my space, move over here, do this in a firm way. I don't mean it, but it's such a hard line for, for someone like me who's been trying to think of my horse as my, as my connection and her, she had friend connection, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word. It's just an interesting line. I mean, there's, I want, I mean, I've raised five kids. I always think of horses as teenagers, you know, like a teenage boys in particular, I have a gelding. If you cannot, you know, if you can't keep that 15 year old in line, you're in trouble when they're 17. And so I get it. But at times it's like, I just want you to be my little 18 month old baby and I get to hug. So I have this really hard line between being kind and, and setting that hard boundary. Um, and let, I certainly watch do you see what Talk I mean? Some of the videos I watched where it looked that. like she was really 
she, I mean, there was a couple of videos where I thought, whoa, I don't know if I could do that to my horse. So that's can, what I wanted to bring can I, up. Can I quickly jump in, Jolyn? I know, I don't know if you know this, Jolyn. I, I thought the same thing, J.E., but then I realized that Teachable has now set a new feature where the videos go at 1.25 speed uh, by default. So, so just go, cause I, I kind of <laughs> had that same initial reaction. So just go and make sure that you're watching on what speed and they do that so that you can listen to the content faster. Um, but I'll let you continue on John. I just want to jump in and say that because I wasn't sure if everyone had noticed that. <laughs> I, I, I have a couple of comments on that. One of them is <laughs> that you can do groundwork and you can ask your horse to trot and you can ask your horse to move its shoulder and your horse should stand four or five feet away from you and face up and look at you like the brown horse was looking at me today when I took that photograph. Now, I have the ability to walk towards that ground horse <laughs> towards the brown horse and give that brown horse a huge hug. I get to hug that horse. That horse does not get to walk towards me. I get to walk towards him. I get to give him a big hug full around his neck. And then I get to walk away and that horse has to stand there. So you as the, as the person get to own the and control the moment of walking into your horse and giving your horse love and then walking away and that horse has to respect you and stand exactly where it is. And that's something you can work on. And I think it's actually really important for most of us. The horse doesn't get to walk towards you, doesn't get to nuzzle you, doesn't get to push you on the shoulder, doesn't get to walk over you, but you do get to walk towards it and love it. <laughs> and I will say, having watched Amelia and Larry and Joseph and Buck and Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance and all of these people, they all have a signature of how they approach horses. And we know because we know so much about these people, like it's kind of a funny joke. And, and Mary Branham and Buck's wife will talk about it. Buck actually has a hard time catching his horses because he's so firm and he works them so hard. But as you can see, when you watch Buck, he also loves on them a lot. So it's complicated. Every person and each of us in this room here have a personality that we bring to horsemanship. And that is a-okay. Within that structure, I do want my horses to listen to me and uh, to feel what's going on with them and for me to get over and be able to express love, but I don't want them to walk on me. So that's kind of the distinction that I make. <laughs> and so that's the way I think about it. I'm sorry, I don't have a good voice tonight, but, but it is. And the other thing that I think is, is is important to remember is how many horses these these people have worked with how many horses Amelia's worked with so she she and she says it she says I want to ride my horses I want to get on them 
so she's very clear about what her groundwork looks like. Most of us spend a little bit more time with our one or two or three horses. And so our groundwork is a little bit different, but Amelia is very clear and very direct with her horses. And, um, and she does love them to death. And you can see that when we're at the shows, but, but you're right, we all have a signature. So um, that's, that's a good point. Anybody else have any questions? I'd love your questions and comments, you guys. I, I just wanted to, somebody posted in Facebook today or yesterday about going to the clinic in Ocala to the Carl somebody clinic. Yes. And the description of Chris his, did. his demeanor with the with the riders, the firmness, though this is the way I expect you to do this, but with a gentleness and how he was kind, but then not so much when he needed to be firm. And I got this idea that that's how I should be with my horse, like how he was treating the riders. The expectation was how I might be with my horse. That's Chris, and she went to Carl Hester's clinic, and Carl is an incredible master of horsemanship with his horses, and there are times when you need to firm up and be really clear, and there's times when you need to back off, and there's times when you really need to listen, so I think, Noreen, we're developing a range of skills within ourselves that allows us to match what the horse needs and that's so important i mean you can see i work those two horses exactly the same today and they had two different responses so you really have to increase your range of how you listen and how you talk to your horse. And then you have to, to have to like respond appropriately. So I think that's a really good point that you got from Carl Hester, he's a master. Mm -hmm. Okay, can I jump can I jump in Absolutely. for a second? Absolutely. Hi, Donna. Okay. So, hi. hi. So you guys all know that I work in behavior with dogs. And I wanna uh -huh. tell you that this is, there we see the same problems when we get into issues with dogs are the people that don't understand that it's an animal that there are boundaries that you say to a dog you can come into my face but you just don't allow them to come into your face so what i would like people to think about is if you have a dog at home how do you treat your dog how under control is your dog where do you set boundaries with your dog? Or do you have a dog that has absolutely no boundaries? And then because you're used to that interaction with your dog, are you then bringing this to your horse in the barn? So just food for thought. That, I mean, Donna, I can't, I can't agree with you more. Our dogs are such an interesting example of how we are with animals and I, when I was trying to figure out years ago, pulling on my horse, um, I think it's Mindy who said, go home and play tug of war with your dog. And see yeah. if you can't figure out how to lead your dog on a mm -hmm. loose rein. 
And sure enough, you pull on that dog and that dog will pull back. And if yeah. you let go, then the, then the dog is kind of startled. And then if you let go, you can figure out eventually how to lead the dog on a soft rein. So there's much mm -hmm. to learn about ourselves and our characteristics in how we treat our dogs. The other important thing to learn from your dog is to watch how it moves its hips and its legs because when it moves its inside hind leg, it moves its barrel over the same mm -hmm. as a horse does. Horse. And it can help you feel your horse underneath you. So I really learned about the hind legs of my horse by watching my dogs move. So I love that you're a dog trainer, Donna. And I think there's a lot for us to learn from our dogs. And yeah, I, I agree. I just, the dogs. I think that we just develop a pattern with the dogs. And I just see so many people take that pattern into the barn. Um, and really, most people that have dogs that are out of control, when they get to the barn, they have horses that don't lead. They're not safe. They don't do groundwork. They don't listen then under saddle. So I just think it's such an interesting correlation that we get into a pattern sometimes with the animals at home and then hold on to that pattern with our horses. I, I think that's true. And Sherry has a comment about watching horses in the field or in pasture together. So the two horses in the photograph, they live together. And the horse that was really with me, the brown horse, the younger horse, is actually the dominant horse. So it is very interesting to watch them out in the field. So the horse in some ways that was more confident and more secure is actually the more dominant horse. And I love the ability I have to see my horses in a herd out my kitchen window, because you do get to see a lot of animal behavior that you wouldn't otherwise observe. And, and, and to be fair, it is a luxury to have your horses at home and your horses in a herd, but it's so good for them. And it, it's really good for them, but it's interesting. Can I talk for a minute? So this has been a great session. Does anybody have any last comments or final remarks? Sherry was going to say something. I mute and unmute. Luckily, I was quiet for most of the time. But um, the interesting thing, too, with the horses, my both my horses are in with an older, amazing pack leader. No matter what horses we put in that herd, he's the guy. And he is so subtle until you move out of line, the horse moves out of line, and then he lets them know, but he is like status quo all the time. And it is a message for how we, you know, convey that to them. So that calm walking up, that doing the same thing, that having that appropriate reaction when they do something that is herd knowledge wise out of line. <laughs> so that has been very lucky to see in that particular group too, is watching that strong horse and how they are so elegant and how they handle it until they need to be stronger.
I have one more thing if I can jump in because that was a great point, um, Sherry, that mm -hmm. there's one horse that's kind of setting the tone. But one of the things that I want people um, to think about is we have in the field of behavior gotten rid of the term dominance and no longer is it an acceptable term. And the reason that we don't talk about dominance anymore is because it's not linear, it's lateral. So the same as we know in herds that there isn't one that rules everything in the herd, yeah. but there are different mares and that have different jobs and one is for leading and one is for watching and one is for checking on babies. And we know that they all have different jobs. It's the same thing in dogs. There's no alpha, beta. It doesn't go by that order. It's more lateral. So you can have a dog be more the one in control if the husband and wife are both in the room, but if the husband leaves, it's totally different. You can have them change if they yes. go outside as opposed to inside. Um, it's situational. And we're finding that um, with the research in the horses, it's exactly the same thing that what we used to think um, that there would be a mare that kind of led this herd and it was a little more linear, but it's a lot more lateral than we ever thought. So there's fascinating work coming out um, with all this videography that we can do now that's really explaining the dynamics and it's much more complicated and much more lateral than we ever thought. So it's fascinating. That's that's a great point, Donna, and and it is interesting seeing the horses all day, every day. They it changes. It is so yeah. dynamic yeah. what's going on between my four geldings, and um, I think if to leave you guys with with this thought is it's so important for you to really take a deep breath and listen to your horse and really you know when when you lead a horse you want to lead with a soft feel so you want to start with a two and then if they don't respond you want to get in there and be assertive like amelia at an eight but but you do ultimately want horses your horse to respond to you with aids that are about a two and I, when we were with Larry day in and day out for that five or six years, he led all his horses just with the lead rope draped over his arm. He didn't hold the lead rope ever. It was always just draped over his arm. And he expected that horse to follow him with a feel. And then that is to me the goal. And it's the goal of the Grand Prix rider is to have your horse follow your body with a feel and and that's where we're all going and that means we have to listen but we also have to have the correction of an eight and um so i think that's good there's a question in the chat i haven't said uh read when it's when it's cold and nasty how do you get motivated to go to the barn <laughs> Amy, do you want to answer that? You're good at that kind of question. I just, I just go, but that's me. Yeah. I mean, that was my, <clears throat> that's, you said it a lot nicer than I was going to say it. And again, this is a very safe space and this is said with love and I'm 40 years old now. And this took me about 40 years to realize it wasn't until this summer that I realized <laughs> and I said it out loud. And I think I knocked you over with a feather, Joella, when I said it, motivation is baloney. It's BS. It doesn't exist. It's not a thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> motivation isn't something that happens to you. It's not. You happen to motivation. Just like the belief, you know, where you've heard motivational speakers say now, you know, um, stop thinking that uh, practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice that makes perfect. Motivation doesn't come to you to enable you to do something. You go do something and it becomes a habit and it becomes ingrained in you. And then you then you just do it. For my example, I wish so much that someone would come up my driveway and tell me that I need to get on the treadmill and run again. I used to run half marathons. I ran so many that I never had to train for them. And I was skinny and I looked great and I had the perfect equestrian body. And then I decided to have a kid and that ruined everything. And I keep blaming all these external things when really the bottom line is that I'm lazy and I'm not getting on the treadmill and I'm not making the time. And because it's not part of my day and it's not part of something that I care about anymore, I'm not doing it. I'm not motivated because I'm not doing it. And if I just cared and if I just put my foot down and said, you are getting on this treadmill, you will start running half marathons again. You'll train appropriately for it, obviously, because now I'm 40 and I can't just go out and run. I'll probably drop dead of a heart attack if I try to do it that way. And I certainly can't do that because I have a kid and I have a mortgage and I have a horse and I have a business and I have friends and I have you guys. But the point is, it's a decision. You do it whether or not you feel like it. Obviously there's some rules if you're hurt or sick or injured or, you know, whatever, obviously like we're smart people, we can, there, there are a, a few times I think where excuses are okay, but in general, you decide this is what I'm going to do and come hell or high water. I mean, the only thing that's going to stop me is a hurricane or, if, you know, an asteroid hits the earth, no matter what, this is what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter. That's how you get motivated. It becomes part of you. And then you do it. And maybe you're feeling bad right now where, you know, you genuinely just want to ride and you genuinely can't find that internal force to do it. <clears throat> just do it anyway. Just freaking do it anyway. And I promise you one day you're going to feel different about it. And you're going to look back at this time where you didn't feel like doing it. And you're going to kind of like laugh at that person and, you know, just feel so much empathy for that person who just didn't understand how to make that happen. And then you'll feel so much pride and satisfaction in getting it done. So that's how you get motivated to go to the barn when it's cold and crappy. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. Um, I think yeah, I always feel better after being with my horses and going to the barn and petting them. So just go enjoy it and feel better. So thank you all. Keep asking questions. It's great to have you here and um, see you in strides. And thanks for coming. Thanks, guys. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs> Good night.